This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere Thursday at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Fun guest today. I love this guy. I've met him before. He's so humble and sweet and glorious bastards, freaks and geeks. I mean... He's, he's kind of a little legend. He is. He is. And he's so smart. I'm just like, you know, it's just fun to listen to him and his stories and the way he sees life. Yeah. You know, we'll get into Sam Levine. That's Sam with two M's because mm-hmm. there probably was already a Sam Levine in SAG. That's how they do it. Uh, uh, just wanted to give a little shout outs if you'll kindly listen to them. I'd love you to subscribe if you're listening to Sam for Sam Levine. If you like the podcast, that is. If not, tell me to F off. That's fine, too. Uh, the handles, Ryan? Uh, at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, follow us, write a review. We're on YouTube as well if you want to watch it, which is always nice, but watch it. Uh, we have a clips channel, but try to subscribe, write a review. We have the Inside of You online store. That's what it's called. Tons of cool merch um, from Inside of You mugs and, and tumblers. We have actually some new Smallville stuff. We have a, well, we have a, a Lex Luthor signed Lexmas script from the show. Um, we have a, Lex Luthor signed ship key, the key to the ship. So you're going to want it. They're going to be, they're going to be around. They're going to be available. They're dope. They're, they're like hotcakes. I, I put six up. They were gone in 20 minutes. So I'm going to, I'm trying to get more. So this guy is supposed to send me a bunch. So keep a look at on that. The inside of you online store. Also, um, sunspin.com go to sunspin.com and get your new sunspin merch our band has an album out a cd it will be streaming in like february uh you could listen to our last album sun, uh best days it's called sunspins the band best days is the name of the album the new one's coming out but you can get that on cd at sunspin.com along with t-shirts uh mugs hats tons of cool shit calendars what's the name of this album or is it a it's secret? called never is what it is never is what it is yeah, there's a song called that. It's uh, it's it's pretty. It's a kind of a sad song. I was going through a tough time, so there's a couple of songs that are, you know, sounds like a Tom Petty lyric. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Never is what it is. You have to you, you, have, to, you yeah. have to hear the album, but it's really cool. A bunch of great musicians. So support the band, Sunspin.com. Follow us, whatever, what have you, and just a th- shout out to um, FoodOnFoot.org, helping the homeless on this you know, dismal year we've had. And, you know, people are still out there starving and go to foodonfoot.org. And if you can help in any way, it helps them tremendously. Uh, also echoes of hope for foster youth. It's a beautiful organization. And Ryan, hmm. I'll be in Vegas with Tom Welling. Oh yes. To do a, uh, a convention Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 13th, 14th, and 15th of January, Vegas, Smallville Nights with Tom. We do a two-man event, read scripts from the old, you know, the old scripts from Smallville. You read with us. It's gonna be a blast. Where which uh hotel do you remember? I don't know, but they'll you know, look on my Instagram in the next couple of weeks because you'll see it. So join me. Um and last but not least, Arm, the mm. animal rescue mission. Mm. And my friend Shira runs it, and they are rescuing so many animals. Uh there's so many animals out there that are starving or abused or left to you know, die and 
she tries to save every friggin' animal. I'm like, you can't do that. You're not Noah. <laughs> Stop. And uh, but she she really has a heart of gold and uh, help the organization. Tell them uh, tell them I told you to come. And also Ronald McDonald House. Can't forget that in Los Angeles. Love those guys. Uh, that's about it for the for the holidays. We're getting there. We're getting to uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, 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 Kwanzaa. What? Yeah, mm. you know me. I fucked everything up. Yeah. And Ryan's also. I like that you're. You've been in the last couple of months. I've seen like a shift. I don't know if it's the therapy, the BetterHelp therapy, <laughs> because I mean seriously, I mean sponsor. Yeah, they are a sponsor, but they're awesome. That's why they've been with us because they know everybody out there deals with anxiety, depression, and everything in between. And uh, you've been doing it, but also um, you're taking a writing class every week. Yeah, you're really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. You're starting to do like comedy, like, oh, you did it. You had to go last night. It was good. It was good. I knew it would be good. You were nervous. I was, because I hadn't done music. it in two and a half years. But you killed it? I think so. I mean, I got enough people, invited enough people, and they, like, they, um, it was in, yeah, it was in El Segundo, which is, which is not close. Yeah. Yep. Uh, for a Wednesday. So, I, I mean, I got a lot of. When are you going again? Um, I mean, hopefully that's like a monthly show. Um, so, well, but where would they go? What's uh, it called? Well, it's they they called it uh, recession proof comedy, and so they just invite. So there's just gonna be a, a um, just a comedy night like the second Wednesday of every month at the Brewport Tap House in El Segundo. All right, so you'll you'll yeah. let me know a week ahead of time when you're yeah. gonna do it, and we'll we'll get you people wanna, out there. It's gonna be on a Wednesday in El Segundo. So, yeah. but Ryan's a little celebrity here. I mean, he's on inside of you here. You love him. The people, folks love you. You're on Talkville. You know, it's like, you know, your personality. He's getting some, you know, some fans, some love. So they'll come and love you. You'll get a couple supporters. Yeah. I'm sure Brian Hindenkamp would come see you. It's a far ride for him, though. I think he lives pretty far away. But you like that I shouted out your name. All right. Uh, without further ado, uh, also, I got to thank my patrons. Without you, the show wouldn't exist. Talkville wouldn't exist. You keep the show going. Patreon.com slash inside of you. To support the podcast, uh, I'll try to send you a message. Um, but a lot of tears and fun stuff on Patreon. Without further ado, let's get in the wonderful, talented, incredible. You like that, Sam? Sam Levine. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Dude, how are you? I'm great, man. I'm, I'm genuinely great. I got married. I know. You, you yeah. married Rachel. I married Rachel. You met her on a game show. Ish. Schmodown. Yes, the movie trivia Schmodown. You let me know when we're going. We're probably already started, aren't we? Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, that's what Pete does. He just rolls right into it. By he the way, start. Um, that show it was called Movie Trivia Schmodown. The movie Trivia Schmodown, yeah. Schmodown. Yeah. Let me ask me some questions to see if I would be a movie enthusiast without going, you know, uh, can you I I could ask you a few probably, but I mean there are like super easy softball ones and then there are like five pointer very very difficult questions. Like give me a you give me an easy one. Start okay. me easy. An easy one would be like um uh, how many uh Terminator films did James Cameron direct in the 90s? Wow, I thought this was easy. One. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, just the one. Yep. Because uh, for 84, 91. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's what I was so thinking. That's, yeah. So it's, it's like you're like, ooh, you want to think about it because you don't want to jump into an answer and go, right. oh my God, I can't believe I forgot that. And then like a super hard one uh, <laughs> would be. <laughs> oh, great. No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. I, I, honestly, nothing's even coming to me because they're all really 
Um, something. Give me something. They're super. Con- they're, you have to read a list of names to make sure that you're giving the appropriate information. Uh, there was one. It was like what um, comedy uh, starring uh, or featuring Paul Newman, John Goodman, and Steve Buscemi uh, from the '90s. Like it was Paul Newman and Robert Redford was the category. It was like what comedy featuring Newman also has '90s comedy featuring Newman also has supporting performances from John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, and I'm leaving stuff out because I don't remember. Wow, that question. comedy. Yeah, it's a comedy. Was well, it a really obscure movie? No, you've heard of it, but it's not. It's not a pool movie. No, it's not the Stakeout. It is not the Stakeout. Wasn't he in that? I don't think Newman's in Stakeout. What was it? It's the Hudsucker Proxy. The Hudsucker Proxy. Cone Brothers movie. Yes. I should have known that when you said uh, Goodman. Goodman and Buscemi. Buscemi. Those are giveaways. Yeah. Those that's giveaways. how I'm like that your mind thinks the way I do. Like when I hear certain actors, like I think that's one of the reasons I was okay at it was I know like certain directors who love to work with repeat actors. Yes. Like Henry Gibson is in a movie. There's a very good chance Joe Dante directed it. Really? For example. That's good. Yeah. Can you name every... No, I'm not going to do this. Yes. We can't do this. We, I was going to say, can you name every Tarantino movie in order? Probably, but who, who but cares? But who cares? Who cares? Everybody's thinking about it right now. Right. They're thinking about it. Write did it you, down, email it into us. Did you always have an affinity for movies uh, growing up in television? Did, was it something that was embedded in your kind of... It was part of your DNA from the moment you got out of mom's womb? Yes, uh, and I owe that to two things. One, both my parents are uh, cinephiles. Really? Both. Still with us? Yes. Thank God. Uh, so they, and my mother's father, uh, he too was a cinephile. He had a massive collection of laser discs and VHS and all the stuff in the in the 80s and, and early 90s. So love and appreciation of cinema was something I was raised with. And then the second thing, the real kicker, was uh, they allowed me to have a television in my bedroom with uh, unfettered cable access when I was 11 years so old. So you're watching HBO? I'm watching HBO. Th- th- Give me th- the HBO theme. Well, that's Yeah, we got we could we could have done the whole thing. The yeah. whole thing takes like a minute. It does. Um, but yes, uh yeah, I had HBO Cinemax. Wow. Uh, did we, you watch Dirty Stuff on Cinemax? Of course I did. Did you were you jerking off at the young age? Cinemax. That's Were you watching um Goodbye Emmanuel? Uh, yeah, Emmanuel's uh, <laughs> Diary or whatever they call it. Do you it? remember there was a song to those movies, Goodbye, Emmanuel? I remember when I was a kid, I was watching. I was like, it was like, Goodbye, Emmanuel. Ooh. Emmanuel. Goodbye, Emmanuel. <laughs> I just remember and see, you got to see some boobs. I remember trying to jerk off when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old to real sex. And I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. Come back with the attractive ladies. There's, this is a nudist colony thing. I don't, these are old dudes. Why? Oh, no, my eyes. Um, yeah, don't, if you're, if you're me and 12, don't attempt to uh, masturbate to real Now, your, your dad was a dentist. Uh, still is. Still is a dentist. Yep. Does he still do your teeth? He does. And, oh, he's going to love this. Uh, he just relocated to Los Angeles. Right after the jerking off, he hears that. He's going to hear about his You know, <laughs> when stuff. I edit this for him. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, no, he, uh, he he practices in L.A. now. Really? And yeah. yeah. The dentists do really well. Um, I think it really depends on a number of factors. Um, but primarily, believe it or not, it has to do with what type of dentistry you want to pursue. Because, uh, you know, periodontist, endodontist, orthodontist, orthodontist. now ortho, that's the that's sweet, the sweet money. money. But 
the catch is all day, every day for your life, you're going to be doing braces and retainers and braces and retainers. Right. And that's and it. He didn't do that. No, he's a general dentist. So he'll do, he gets to do the fun variety. But of, he doesn't do oral dentist. surgery. He does not do oral surgery. You go to an oral surgeon. Oral for surgeon for that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Did you like going to the dentist when you were young? Like it? No. But I didn't mind it like other kids. Like, you hated it. It was the worst oh, thing yeah. in the Some world. Some people have massive know? anxiety. You know who has horrible anxiety with it? Uh, Eddie Murphy. Ooh. That's what I hear. Okay. I know. I know the truth. Why doesn't he just send his, it is. He his does stand in? <laughs> he should do that. Now, that's a little bit of inside Hollywood for those of you. But do you think dad was more mean to you and wanted you to feel a little pain in a sadistic <laughs> sort of way when you went in as of just like, oh, it's going to, no, no pain? What? 100%. Do you think he gave it to you a he little did, bit? He, he, honestly, he would just poke around in there with the metal sharp <laughs> thing. There was, there was nothing medically necessary about it. What were your influences like growing up to, like, to, to be an actor? What movies did you see where you were like, I have to do this? Um, the first one, this goes back to 11-year-old or 12. I'm 12 years old now. You're how old are you, 40? Uh, I'm 40, yeah. 40. So uh, the TV in my bedroom, and it's the middle of the night, and A Clockwork Orange comes on. Really? And That's I've never what got you into it? <laughs> well, that was the movie that I saw that made me completely change the way I viewed movies and entertainment. Because I'd never seen anything that grown up. I'd never seen anything that intense. Mm. That was the first thing where I went, oh, sh shit. I yeah. had no idea movies could be like this. Incredibly disturbing. And then it's all I wanted to do was watch I don't want to say fucked up movies, but like movies that made me think and movies that made me think about things differently, look at things differently. And I was, I rewatched that movie so many times and uh, shortly thereafter, Reservoir Dogs. Um, and uh, like those, probably those two movies had a really? tremendous impact. What were your parents thinking when you were watching these kind of movies? Were they concerned at all? Were they, uh, you know, what what is he doing now? What's he going to do with his life? I don't think I was You're allowed. You're in Illinois, right? No, Jersey. The, born in Chicago. Born in Chicago. Yes. I was born. I, well, I was born in New York, and I grew up in Indiana. You were born, born in, in Chicago, Chicago and went to raised New outside Jersey. of New York. Right, yeah. Right. 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 Um. And uh, no, they. I. I don't know that my mother knew that I was watching these terrible things. My dad probably did because I would talk to him about it. I'd be like, you know, what I watched last night. It was of Clockwork Orange. You go, oh, I saw that at the Ziegfeld Theater in 1971. I'm like, all right, this isn't about you. Um. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, no, they, they 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 knew, and then also by the time I was twelve, I was doing stand up comedy. I read this. You were yeah. doing stand up comedy at bar mitzvahs. I started at bar mitzvahs when I was eleven and twelve. What kind of jokes are you telling at kids' bar mitzvahs? Remember, folks, yeah. you're thirteen when you have yeah. a bar mitzvah. Yeah. Would you would you do bat mitzvahs or just stick to the bar mitzvahs? Bar and but benign mitzvahs, if you will. <laughs> Okay. That's the plural. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Good. Um uh the uh the jokes I would do were probably 5% my own, which were not terribly funny, but then 95% the grade A material of one uh Richard Jenny, may he rest in peace. Do you remember Richard Jenny? No. Oh, he was magnificent. He was one of the hardest working comics in show business in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and he had a number of HBO comedy hours and Showtime specials. Um, he had a big one in 1993 that was eye-opening for me called Platypus Man. Mm. Uh, and uh, he, he was just absolutely brilliant. And he had so many bits that I've memorized word for word. Give me one. 
You want the whole thing? I just want a nice, come on. Uh... I don't, well, he's got to, okay, here's one he did from a later comedy special. He said, um, he was talking about first dates. And he said, I don't know why men have the nerve to wear a sport jacket on the first date. You lying son of a bitch. <laughs> like, this is who you are. You know what a man should be wearing on the first date? A top hat, a white tie, and a cane. Because he's just doing the same old song and dance. <laughs> you know I really like kids. I don't care much for sports. I love scented candles, and I don't believe in divorce. Tell me more about your cat. I'm hanging on every word. There you go. That's Wow. And you do this at bar mitzvahs. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I wouldn't do that. I don't think you'd written that yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a little <laughs> like, older, a little I mature. I couldn't steal it yet. <laughs> right, right, right. But <laughs> jokes of that ilk. So, yeah, I was doing goofy stuff like that. And uh, it was just. What did you do in front of your parents, the jokes? Oh, sure. And they I'd, thought you were hilarious? Yeah, I did it at my own bar mitzvah, too. You did. You started just. Oh, I did. You like had, a, so you had this innate sort of confidence that he, as a young boy. Yes. You could see that when you start seeing your work, like early on, even like freaks and geeks. You yeah. could see that that maturity, that kind of like, wow, mm. this guy's an actor. I don't know about maturity, but that it, that it misappropriated confidence. Right. Like looking back, there was a large amount of naivete. Right. That it's based out of. But looking back, oh, so confident. No, it's because I didn't know what the hell was going on. Were you popular in high school? Oh God, no. Not at all. Not even never a little bit. popular. No, never no, got no, the no. girls. No, 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 no. Really? No, no, no. Very unpopular. What would they? Were you picked on? Uh, from time to time. What would they do? Uh, well, mean things were written on my locker. Like what? Oh. don't say Jew bastard. Uh, no, no. I only had one or two uh, uh, anti-Semitic things screamed at me in in my young life, uh, mostly by strangers. Um, <laughs> what did they write? Oh, somebody wrote Sam is whack. And W-H-A-C-K. And I was so uncool. I literally had to ask. I was like, I don't know. Is whack good or bad? Really? I had to ask. I'd ask did you that. ever, did you ever like, because I was picked on a little bit and I, I know what that's like. I wasn't popular. But did you ever go home and sort of like, were you upset about it? Did you cry? Were you sit in your room and say, or did you have friends or did you not worry about it too much? I did have friends. Um, and I didn't worry about it because... Uh, I mean, when, when I was really young, I probably, no, I definitely worried about it. It made me sad and all that. Uh, but I had this epiphany. I remember I was walking home from school one day. Uh, I, I was maybe about 12 or 13 years old and I was starting to do stand up and feeling like I had a very good idea of what I wanted to do with my adult life. And I remember I was walking up this hill, lived up this hill. And I was walking up this hill and I like stopped and I had this absolute epiphany where I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm only in school with these idiots for like four, four or five more years. And then I'm going to go have my own life. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do cool, great things. I'm going to be on stage. I'm wow. going to be doing stuff I want to do. What perspective? None of this matters at all. I just got to get through the next five years. Fine. Fuck them. I don't care. See, the difference between you and me is I was thinking, how do I get through tomorrow? Sure. How do I possibly get get through the next four years yeah it was always and that carried on yeah with me how do i get through this thing i'm doing instead of trying to make the best of it and enjoy it it's just stress anxiety how do i you know but that is a very mature way of thinking thank you i don't i don't know i have no good explanation for why i had that thought uh but it i remember it i remember it vividly and i just remember that was a defining moment for me sort of just being able to handle anything socially that high school threw at me were you able to 
did people call you once you got famous or, or like when you went back home, did people that you were like, you were never nice to me. Did they, cause they come out of the woodwork. I, they happened with me. Sure. Oh no. I have uh, apparently 30 or 40 best friends from high school that I misremember how close we were <laughs> and how frequently <laughs> so they asked me true. to hang out. It's so true. I'm like, do you remember? You never hung out we with me. We never saw each other. We never. I just know you were in my school. We were in the same grade. Oh, I I'm maybe saw you I'm at friends lunch. with him. So what do you do? How do you, I just, I'm, I, I guess I'm too good natured. I just sort of go, Hey, Oh yeah. How are you? I just go with it. Sure. Just, whatever. I'm I, not, I just go with it too. And I mean, I, I am on social media and so a lot of them have, you know, reconnected with me there. And, um, at first I was like, I mean, I know what happened. Should I just ignore this person on social media? I'm like, no, no, I, I think I want them to know how I'm doing. Kill them and with I, kindness. And I'd like too. to know how they're doing. Um, did you were you, did you really want to know how they're doing? Some of them. Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because people do change. They absolutely do. Unless you're a child who kills animals and things. They right. usually don't. Then they all they, they go, grow up they to be Jeffrey back. Dahmer. Sure. So right. you know or you don't Tom want, Welling. <laughs> oh no. How dare oh, you? Oh no. <laughs> how how would you <laughs> but um weird shot. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I've been using this stuff, Ryan, for focus. Uh, I just feel better, a sense of well-being. If you want to help resist aging at the cellular level, you got to try Qualia Synaletic. Um, have you heard about Synaletics, Ryan? Uh I have a little bit, but why don't you tell me about it? It's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why we use Qualia Senolytic. If someone would have told me that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months. I, you know, I wouldn't have believed it. And then I tried Qualia Synaletic. And just to let you guys know, I was trying this stuff before they became a sponsor, and I've said this before, but it's important to know because I love this product before they were the, uh, our sponsor. And I felt like it was working for me. I felt like I had a focus. I just felt my memory, everything, uh, sense of well-being. I just felt better. And um, I know people, listeners that have come up to me saying how much it works for them. And I like that. I like that it's it's not just me that notices the effects, but everyone else around me. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with the middle age feeling, also known as zombie cells. They are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. It's kind of like pruning and the yellowing uh, of, of dead leaves off a plant. Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And you get a 100-day money-back guarantee. 
Um, like I said, my energy levels are up. I feel younger when I take it. I feel more focus, less aches and pains, and Lord knows I have those. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. You've heard me talk about Shopify. It's because I use Shopify. I love it. It's so easy to use. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch or online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Why it's so easy is when I want to add a product, you just go to your Shopify page, and under products, you hit products. It says add a product and then you go in there and you add a picture of your product, which is self-explanatory right there. A little description, how much it weighs, how many of the item you have, and you're ready for business. It's so easy. And I say that because I can do it. And the analytics are easy to see what your best selling product is and, uh, you know, what's not selling. So you don't reorder things that aren't working and, it's just so easy to use, and I uh, I really dig it. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Yeah, I sell T-shirts and, and tumblers and scripts and whatever you want to sell. It doesn't matter. You can do it on Shopify. Once you start selling, Shopify makes getting paid simple by instantly accepting every type of payment. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. So did you have ever have become friends with someone from high school that you weren't friends with in high school? Has that ever happened? No. That's never happened. Also, I I think one of the things I remember I was having a really hard time in like fifth grade. Mm. And I remember asking my mom, because uh, you know, the only thing when you're fifth grade is your friends in your life and that's your whole world. And I remember asking my mom, I'm like, Are you are you still friends with the, any of the people you went to school with? She's like, No. I was like, really not high school or, or college or anything? She goes, I have like two friends from college that I keep in touch with, but I know no one from my life before that, you know? And yeah. and I remember having that hit me and like really trying to wrap my head around like, oh, many years from now, I won't know these people. And I mean, if in fairness to her, social media, the internet was not yet a thing. Right. Um, 
Because then it would be impossible to ha- to get be in touch. with It these would people. be impossible. It would be then forget it. They'd have no way. Yeah, of, that's of, true. Of that's true. Um, but even with that, uh, it's yeah. I don't. I know them. I know they're out there. Every now and then, I'll you know chime in with one of them online or something. But by and large, no. That's that is a part of my distant past. It was really weird. I was in New York and I was doing sketch comedy for Conan O'Brien, mm-hmm. and when he was. You know, nobody oh, was watching I that show. No one was watching. I was show. watching, Michael. You were? I was. You were. But I was the Amsterdam kids, the two kids that were misinformed about Amsterdam's liberal social policies. Mm-hmm. I was a recurring sketch comedy guy. I did like eight episodes. Yep. And it was huge for me. I was on TV. You know, some people saw me. And I got a phone call from this guy that I went to high school with who I, I hung out with every once in a while. And I liked him. I remember liking him. I go, I, I like this guy. We went cruising, you know, things like that. He was more popular than I am. He got girls. I didn't hang out with his crew, but he would invite me sometimes. And mm-hmm. I got a message and it goes, Rosenbaum, dude, it's Kent Brenneman. I'm watching TV and you come on the screen. Dude, that's so cool, man. I'd love to catch up. It's been forever, man. Congrats. Gave me his number and I called him. Yeah. And I was like, and we talked. And then I would go, I had no other reason to go home. My, my, my mom was still there, but I didn't go home very often. I didn't really hang out with anybody mm. for a while. And I went home and all these people came out of the woodwork that Kent organized like to hang out. Wow. And a lot of them, I was like, I, I remember you went to high school with and you were popular and I, but I don't, I didn't hang out with these guys. Yeah. So they're all hanging around. And, you know, year after year, I'd go home for whatever. And it was kind of like there was a couple of people that I, I still keep in touch with. Now, is all of this pre-Smallville? Pre-Smallville. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just, it was odd. And you go back and this was like only like five years after, you know, high school ended. Oh, yeah. And so I would see these guys at home and I, I'd be like, you know, and they were so nice to me. Sure. Because I was on TV. And, sure. And I just, I just. I, I reciprocated. I was like, "Hey," and yeah. you know, we were friendly, and it was just—it was just really odd a lot of times. Yes, no, a similar thing happened to me when I was uh, nineteen. I was only two years out of high school, and I had uh, was in a feature film, not another teen movie. Ah, and I, big and movie, it, and it was released uh, in December of that year. So I was back home in Jersey seeing family for the holidays, and the movie was still in theaters. And so then, you know, word spread. Oh, Sam's here. Sam's here. Oh, does he want to go see his movie with us? And the same thing, a group of people. I did. I went to go see a movie I was in with a group of people I went to high school with, many of whom I hadn't spoken more than five sentences to over the entirety of high school. And uh, we came out of the movie and a few of them, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. What was what was Cousin Eddie like? Because Randy Quaid is in the movie. Of course. Uh, And then the one girl who I'd had a huge crush on my whole school life, um, she like looks me dead in the eye. She's like, it was weird seeing you in a movie. Weird. Well, bye. And I was like, okay, I think we're, we're done here. Wow. Was it uncomfortable? No, it was just surreal. And, you know. Did a, you feel like the man for a second? For a split second until everyone was just like, all right, well, let's uh, move on. Let's not laud him too much. We didn't like him when we were students with him. Let's not pretend we do now. But what's weird is now that we're all adults, I get the most lovely messages sometimes. Um, Mostly about how their kids have seen me in some of the stuff that I do more that's geared towards young people. Right. um, Which is delightful. What made you get into acting? Was it your love for cinema and then doing the bar mitzvahs and the stand-up and that kind of gave you the confidence to start doing plays in high school? It started with stand-up. Um, and, uh, from there I got, uh, a manager in New York and he was the one who wanted me to be submitted 
uh, on auditions. Right. And I mean, in addition to that, I was doing school plays and stuff like that. Uh, not really too many school plays. Mostly. You were a late bloomer, though, weren't you? Still I am, a, friend. But I was a really late bloomer. I didn't start puberty, I think, till my junior year in high school. Yeah. No. I didn't have armpit hair till probably I was 16. Yeah. No, I didn't hit puberty until I was about 28. <laughs> if per- memory serves. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, it took forever. I, and yeah, me I'm, too. But, but you're a tall, handsome lad. And look at this hairy chest now. Oh, buddy, yeah. Do you have a... Oh, oh, wow, oh juice. yeah, get on yeah, it. I got some hair um, on my back, the, too. Uh, yeah, we can pair that later. We'll put that We'll put that on the Patreon. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the problem with me was I was, I was short, short stuff, as they would say. Hey, short stuff. Um, Were you, did you reach your maximum height in high school? No. I, I was probably about five one when i was a freshman and by the time i finished high school i was maybe five three or five four i th- i think i hit my maximum height when i was is 18 were your parents short uh not really i am short uh primarily because i was a very sick kid were you very sick i was in the hospital all the with time with what um really bad asthma cardiovascular issues some heart stuff bad news uh did you and, almost die and debatable um there was there was a couple times I got really sick. Like I had viral pneumonia that had me in the hospital for like three weeks once, and they were just like, "We don't know what to do. Nothing's making them better." Um, and uh, so the problem was, this is the eighties, early nineties, and back then, the thing was okay, prednisone, just all the prednisone all the time, and that's all well and good. But the problem is, as they've learned. If you give that much prednisone to a young person, it can really stunt their growth. Um, so that's what did and it? that's pretty much what did it. Because I, I have a brother. He's just over six feet tall. Um, and, you know, my dad, he's shrinking now. But at his full adulthood, he was probably 5'10", 5'11". Right. Um, you know, my mother was normal height. But there's no reason I should have been that tiny a kid. Yeah. Other than the drugs. Makes sense. I I remember I was five foot two and a half when I graduated high school, Mm. and I grew somehow. I grew in the next year and a half. I grew like nine inches. Wow. The girls were always like, "Oh, you're so cute, cute Rosie, cute cute little Rosie." Mm -hmm. I was never a guy that was going to get the girls. Mm -hmm. I never got the girls ever. Not at that age. Not Not at that age. Not until college. Not until college it started happening a little bit. Yeah. But um. So I know, I do know what that feels like, but like, was that really hard on you? Were you like always, did you, did you let it go? You're like, I'm, I'm short. This is the way it's going to be. I, yes, because in high school it was a non-starter. Uh, it was never going to happen for me with any of the girls in my high school. And I knew that and I did not attempt. Uh, but then luckily, I mean, I was on Freaks and Geeks, you know, immediately after that. Uh, immediately after high school? Im- immediately after. Like. Done with high school in uh, June, starting Freaks and Geeks July. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and so after that, I was like, yeah, you know, uh, it's my understanding that uh, people on television have a, an easier go at this. And they like me. I'm and good. Like I'm me. getting cast. What was that audition process? I'm sure you've talked about this. Was it something mm-hmm. you auditioned for repeatedly? Uh, not repeatedly. Like I've, I've re- repeatedly auditioned for things since then. No, I went in and read uh, just for Allison Jones, the great casting director, oh, Emmy yeah. award winning Emmy for award-winning. her work on Freaks and Geeks, by the way. Yeah. Uh, 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 casting director Allison Jones. So first I went and I read for her and 
Uh, I got the audition like any other. I think it was the very first actual pilot audition I'd ever been set up with. Right. And that was only because Judd, Apatow, and Paul Feig were specifically looking for unpolished, non-known like TV film actors. Like mm. they, they didn't want, if you had a crazy resume, they were not interested. Wow. They wanted young people that looked like real young people. Yeah. So that's impossibly how I got the call to go audition for this. And originally I read for the role that John Daly uh, played. Uh, Sam Weir. Right. And right. so it says in the breakdown, it's like, uh, he's nerdy. He's undersized. Uh, he likes doing impressions with his friends. They talk about comedy all the time. I'm like, well, that's me. Um, <laughs> so I, I hope this goes well. And uh, God bless her. My mother was like, oh, it says he does impressions. You should do your impressions. And at the time I had, again, I was doing standup and I used to do a truly terrible impression of William Shatner. <laughs> just terrible. Terrible. Like it was not a good impression. Yeah. It day. wasn't even that good. It wasn't even that good. It was mostly, uh, it was that. It was just <laughs> that. That's good and, though. It was good. So, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, all right, fine. So when I go into the audition, um, they always ask, do you have any questions? And I say, yeah, it says he does uh, impressions. I actually do uh, a William Shatner impression. Uh, could I do that as part of the audition? And they're like, uh, yeah, we'll do it at the end. Okay, great. So then I read the role of Sam Weir, not particularly well. And then <laughs> literally I turn to casting. They're like, okay, go ahead. And then I launch into my crappy Shatner impression, which was something directly from my act. I did him on Rescue 911. Remember he used to host Rescue yep, 9 Yeah. Tonight on Rescue 9 one. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so. so Did you I, think this was this didn't go well? I No, I was like, yeah, it went fine. But I've at that point, I'd had hundreds of auditions. I, and you weren't you, getting tons? No, you go in, you do it, you move on with your life. Right. And, um, and I felt pretty good about it. And then um, like a day later, they called and uh, they're like, hey, they want to read you for producers. And I said, oh, great. Um, so but as a real, different character. Well, here's what happened. Okay. So the real story is uh, Judd Apatow was looking at the tapes and he saw that. And my read of the scene was not very good, but he got such a kick out of my bad Shatner that he said, oh, you know what? Put that kid on the callback list. If nothing else, Paul Feig is coming in to do the first round of callbacks. That'll give him a good laugh. Like, just have this kid do a Shatner. You found for, out through Judd. Yes, Judd and Paul. They both told me that story. Yeah. They're like, no, you only wound up on that list because I wanted to make Paul laugh. That's it. And so Paul was the one who I went to do my callback for. And when I went in and I read for Sam Weir again, and then I did my Shatner, and then Paul was like, that's great. That's great. You know what? Can I give you a different character to read? And I was like, yeah. So then he gives me Neil Schweiber. And I take that outside and I work on it in the waiting room for 20 minutes. And they were like, you know, whenever you're ready, just let us know. And so I looked at it. I was like, yeah, I feel like I could do this too. And then like three kids later, I go back in and I do that for Paul. And he was really into it. And he was like, no, 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 let's try it this way. Let's try it this way. Try it this way. And so. And you were giving him what he wanted. I hope so. I think so. You did, obviously. Um, and she was like, okay, great, great, great. Thanks so much. And I leave. And then an hour later, they call again. They were like, okay, they want to see you again tomorrow. 
I was like, okay, great. And so now I go in, and so now I'm reading for Paul and Judd Apatow and Jake Kasdan, the director of the pilot. And I walk in, and Judd literally says, all right, Levine, warm us up with some Shatner. And so I start with the audition this time, or with the, the impression, and and then we start doing Neil Schweiber, and same thing. We're working on it. We're doing this. They give me an extra scene, uh, and we just, we're having goofy fun with it. Were you nervous? Uh, or just fun nervous? I was fun nervous. I mean, I think the fact that I'd done stand-up at that point for so many years on stage in New York, like I didn't get the typical stage fright stuff. Like, And then also, again, uh, unnecessary confidence. There's no reason I should have been that confident. It was borderline arrogance. Right. And I was like, I could, I could do this. I know what they want. <laughs> fucking idiot who called you did your manager call you when you got it so well first they called me and that later that night hey they want a network test you, you oh gotta, you gotta fly another to, one you gotta fly to la oh boy yeah so the good thing here though was and this is the only time in my career it's ever happened boy they really screwed me this being my first job judd told dreamworks who was the studio i'm not studio testing any of these kids i'm not going to make them do it twice i'm telling you who i want you approve them i'm taking them to network and dreamworks said okay so you skipped it. So we did not have to do the studio test, just the network test. Right. And uh, yeah, so it was at the old NBC studios in Burbank. Yeah. Um, and we do a work session. And at the work session. This is a lot for a TV show. There are a lot of, to so, go through. I'm. You know what this is. Yeah. I mean, I've done have that, but I've never. I mean, I guess I have. I remember yeah. the community. I, I It was just between me and Joel McHale. And oh. we kept going in and out and in. And uh, yeah, I remember going. He's going to get it. He's the part. Yeah. I'm not mature enough. He's going to get And he got it. And remember, we've talked about that before when he was on the podcast. There you go. Uh, but go ahead. So, so yeah. So we're doing a little work session with all the actors. And uh, and once again, uh, Judd has me do, you know, whatever goofy impressions and other stuff. Like he wanted me to warm up our own room. <laughs> and then when I went into the big room with all the suits, there's 30 suits in oh, there. Uncomfortable. It's It would be. But I was the first one to walk in that day. And he goes, hey, it's everybody, Sam Levine. And everybody starts applauding. And then I completely stole a line from Richard Jenny, which worked great, by the way, for years of auditions. Everybody applauds when you walk into a test because they want to make you feel at ease. And I was like, whoa, whoa, no, that's premature. What if I suck? Then we'll all be embarrassed, right? <laughs> Come on. Let's not do this to each other. Um, and they laughed. And they laughed. And then uh, Judd was like, yeah, Levine, warm up the, warm up the suits with uh, some Shatner or something. So this is like the fifth time he's asked me to do it on cue. And I'm always happy to oblige. Uh, so I did it. And it got huge laughs. And I guess it put the room at ease or whatever. And then we launched into the scene and we did the scene. And and I, you know, I even think he was like, uh, we're, well, let's do the second half of it one more time. And so we did the second half one more time. Okay, thanks. And then I leave and then they bring me and uh, John Daly and Martin Starr in various groups oh, to yes. read with each other, mix and match. And there was only one other kid reading for Neil, and he looked significantly younger than me. And I mean, I know I had a baby face. This right. kid looked 10 or 11 years old. Right. Um, and my thinking, and I don't know who that kid is, and my apologies, but my thinking was they wanted me, Judd and company wanted me. And so rather than only read me, they brought in another kid who was like, good enough. But it's it's one of those mental things that I've definitely seen producers oh, do, yeah. where they bring in they'll somebody. Never give this guy, that, so they'll think this guy's substantially better. Exactly, he's better for the part. He's better for the part. Here right. of the choices, who do you like? Uh, so 
I I think that's what happened. And then after the test, me and my mother and Martin and his mother uh, grabbed lunch at the NBC commissary. And then we left and uh, I was staying at the uh, Hilton, Universal Hilton, and uh, taking the elevator upstairs, walking back to the room. And as I'm walking to the room, I can hear the phone ringing inside the hotel room. And I like open the key and I run in and I answer the phone and it's my manager's like, you got it. And that was it. That's how I got the part. Wow. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about BetterHelp and it has helped a lot of people, a lot of my friends and family. And uh, it's just so important. I, I find therapy to be so helpful in so many different ways. A lot of us wish we had more time, but time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Therapy can help everyone be the best they can be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot inside. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or a midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees? Period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. I always ask this question. Yeah. Ryan knows it. But this is your first TV show. Mm -hmm. This is your one of the leads. Mm -hmm. Did they pay you a lot? No. Comparatively speaking. What what did someone back in 2000? 99. 99. It was 99. Get paid to be a an actor or of your caliber, of your status. Which was none. Which was none. Which exactly. Was zero. I'm at gonna the time. guess. I, you I'll probably got paid twenty-five thousand dollars an episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fifteen thousand. Look, it's lower than that. And let, do you really wanna Yeah. It's from it. the past. Sure. They gave me ten grand. Ten grand an episode. But I was only guaranteed seven out of thirteen. I wound up being in all of them. Uh and that was because Scott Sasser, the then network president, saw a script that the I was not in. And I don't know if he had it, if he liked me as an actor, if he liked what he saw, what I did or whatever. But I remember getting that script at home, looking through it and going, oh, Neil's not in this one. Um, and I remember telling my mother, and she was like, oh, well, that's fine. You have a week off. I was like, mom, if I'm not in it, I don't get paid. She was like, oh. Ooh. And I just thought, okay, fine, I got a week off. And then, like two days later, they sent me a new draft, and I was in it. And I found out Scott Sassa, the president of NBC, wanted said you in there. all the geeks are in it every episode. Who do you think I paid the most? Oh, got to have been Linda or 
Siegel or Franco. One of those three got paid substantially more. Yeah, they were they were probably making closer to to, to twenty to twenty five or whatever. Right, right, right. Because they some of them had real credits. Um, were you were you friend friendly or just would you are you still friendly with who would you say are your closest friends out of that group now? I'm definitely closest with John. He and I have always been tight. John Daly. John Daly. Because um, you guys were best friends on the show. Yeah, we you were and best Martin. on the right, show. Right, right. And yeah. Um, and and he was three, he's like three years younger than I am. So, you know, Martin and I and, and Seth were all 17, John's 14. So it was tough. That's a that's a sizable age difference at that age. Uh, but then the show ended and like I just liked John. So So John I, was the only one you really hung out with. Immediately after the show, he's the only one I saw regularly socially. Yeah. Were there any crushes or any love making or anything behind the scenes that were going love on? Making. There well, were plenty of crushes. Uh, did if, you have a crush? Oh, everybody. We all had crushes. But, on, but did anybody hook up? Yes. I mean, I, I famously, I think. Oh, Jason Linda, and Linda and Jason. Right, right, right. Of course. Thing. That's because of the movie. Uh, right. Uh, Forgetting Sarah Forgetting Marshall. Sarah Marshall, right. right. Uh, and, uh, but no, I never had any dalliances with any of the were they broken up by the way uh did they break up during the run show no no they got together together but worked really hard to keep it to hide it yeah right uh and they did like it wasn't till long after the show was over that we're like hey did you know and some people like i knew yeah the fuck you did um (laughs) but no they 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 did not we we no one caught on well were you stunned because it was such a great show. I mean, I, everybody I know just loved that show. It just makes no sense. I talked to Judd. He was on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, I heard. Great And uh, when that show got canceled, it had to be, I mean, how upset were you? Mm. It was one of the worst days of my life. Were you just shocked? How could this happen? Um, yeah. The same day that I heard the show was canceled, uh, I, I was working a, a different job and my car died. Uh, on the, the day and I was like, oh, how can things get any worse? And then uh, I've got the phone call that the show had been canceled and I thought, this is terrible. And then- Who I'm, called you? Um, who did call me? Actually, uh, Josh Weinstein, uh, who is one of our writers and producers, was the one who let me know that Did the you show think it was canceled. coming? Did you know? We all knew it was coming, but we were you know optimistic delusional whatever we we i didn't want it to be going that way um but uh yeah so josh actually didn't call me he picked me up because my car had was no longer working and so he was driving me to the garage and that's when he told me uh oh the show's been canceled and oh truly the worst news of the day paul feig's mom died we all knew paul's mom we loved paul's mom she was on set all the time so his show gets canceled and his mom dies on the same day i think within a day within a day or so yeah um and your car breaks down yeah and i mean that's 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 why i start with that yeah start with that work your way to the important really important things um did you cry no you didn't cry when you got canceled no boy that's a that phrase takes on new meaning now doesn't it just seems like it like it was like holy shit it was too good to be true you're at such a young age you're right out of high school you get on this show it's like the critics loved it Oh yeah, never a bad review, not one. Um, I didn't cry. I I was mentally prepared for it, and right. also as an actor, uh, dealing with rejection, dealing with you have bad to learn. news. You have to learn. You got. I mean, I learned I- instant rejection when I started doing stand up when I was a teenager. Yeah, you know, like I tell those stories, and I had some great shows, but mostly bad ones. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I was not great at it. Uh, I I had the energy for it. I enjoyed doing it. But like, if you want to be a great stand up, you've got to write new material every, every day. day. Yeah. You've got to be trying out new material five times a week. Uh, and I never had the I never had the, the, the drive or the patience to do that. Sure. So I, I did my little jokey jokes and I had fun and, I, you know, I'd write new stuff from time to time, but I bombed a lot because I just, I would get lazy and I would see if I could expand on existing bits or uh, I would take a, the flimsiest of premises, hoping it would connect with people and then I'll just riff on it. Never right, panned out. Right. Um, so uh, yes, but the point is I was very familiar with yeah. rejection and bad news. Well, you were, I mean, you've heard this, but you're, you're brilliant on that show. You're Thank brilliant. You. It's very sweet. You're brilliant. It's you watched that show. The writing. But you delivered. You guys all delivered. The characters were very specific, very different, very defined. I felt like I was there. Oh. I felt like I lived in the neighborhood. It was really a wonderful piece. Did you think after Freaks and Geeks, was there a lull? Or did you just start working? Because I see your resume like, Ed, Spin City, Just Shoot yeah. Me, Steve Harvey, Boston Public, Undeclared, What I Like About You, 70s Show, Family Guy, <laughs> Modern Family, Without an American Summer, all right, Hawaii right. 5 Over, I mean, Veronica Mars. I mean, you yeah. work. I, thank you. However, yes. was there a lull? I thought there was going to be. That was my great fear, was the show would end and I wouldn't work anymore. Uh, but the show ended and I, I did have that panic thought. So I took the first job offered to me, which was actually a writing job on a game show on the USA network called strip poker, strip poker. I think I remember that. It, it, it's what it sounds like. And you were a writer. I wrote, yes, I wrote dumb jokes and questions, jokey questions for a show where attractive young co-eds took off their clothes. And it probably didn't pay much. Uh, it paid $750 a week. And you did it. I took that job. You took it. Whatever happens, I'm, whatever I, job comes, I'm I needed it. a job. Right. I wanted to stay in L.A. My main job was done. I needed some sort of job. Are so you I living alone job. in L.A.? Uh, yes, I am. I kicked my mother out two <laughs> days after I turned 18. You kicked her out. I was like, I'm good. You have fun. Go back to New Jersey. And you're writing on this show. Writing and are people on... saying, God, you were great on that show. And No, no, no. Nobody saw it at the time. Back then, no one it became knew the a show cult later. It it didn't become anything until years down the road. Uh, they, like the next fall, they had it on uh, the Fox Family Channel, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, they were airing it, and then what really brought it into the public consciousness was in the beginning of two thousand four. They released it on DVD. That's when I it think found I bought it. I bought it. The audience the that you know we'd hoped for. Yeah. As a TV show on. Do you still see residuals from that show? Sure. You want to talk about money on the residuals? <laughs> you know what I get? What? I get about 38 cents per episode. And I get those checks, I think, three times a year. So I'll get, there's 18 episodes. I've had those 18 checks. times a year, I'll get 18 checks, 38 cents, 44 cents. Ooh, a dollar and one cent. <laughs> I must have been in that episode a Guys, lot. Guys, he's not bullshitting. I'm not lying. I've had a check written to me. For 0.01 cent. Oh, I have a collection of those. Those are beautiful. I still have them. I kept them. There is the the true unicorn of the residual world is the 0.00. Because like, why? What are you writing? What, how did that get written? It's because the fractional after the second zero on the whatever generated, you know, <laughs> thing generating those checks, it exists. So it, it automatically prints the check. Right. But even though the first two digits are two zeros, it doesn't catch that. So I'm waiting for that unicorn. It's coming. I remember... When Inglorious Bastards was sent to my house, and I read for it, but I don't even remember what I read for. 
And I was, you know, it was misspelled, you yeah, know, yeah. and thinking next Tarantino, I'll never be in a Tarantino movie. He'll never cast me. One time he saw me at a bowling alley and goes, fucking Lex Luthor. And I go, fucking Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. had a moment and that was it. Oh. And I was like, hey, I go. And I was hoping that someday I'd be in a Tarantino film. Yeah. And you got to do that. You're one of, the, one of the few. Yeah. That got to be, was it something he sought at, like, he went after you? I went in and read like everyone else. You did read. But I knew him not well at all. We'd met on a couple of occasions years prior because I sought him out. So I had heard from Judd that uh, before the DVDs came out, he had sent Tarantino Freaks and Geeks on VHS. And uh, I... So he, I knew he watched them. And according to Judd, he liked them. And so this is now 2003. And Jimmy Kimmel Live used to be live back in those oh, days. Oh, I remember. And I don't know going. if you remember, he used to have guest hosts who would yeah. sit with him for the week. Sure. And uh, Quentin was one of them. And so I knew Jimmy. I knew people at the show. And so that was a door that I had opened to me. Anytime I wanted, I could just go You called to and Jimmy and asked him? Uh, I don't think I called Jimmy. I feel like I called... Daniel, uh, maybe Daniel, Daniel or Kellison, right? Daniel Kellison, yeah. or maybe Ken Crosby. A- any of but the, you got on. I got, I got there. I went backstage, and you weren't I, a guest. I was not a guest. Oh, you no. just wanted to go and hang out. Oh, just want to hang out in the green room so that I, because I knew Quinn would be there. Good for you. Did you bring a poster to get autographed? No, <laughs> I was coming as a try, attempting to come as a colleague. Right, right, okay, uh, okay. So you're there, and so I was there, and I see Quentin. I'm like, hey, Quentin. He's like, hey, what's up? I was like, Sam Levine, uh, freaks and geeks. I think Judd sent you the VHS. He goes, oh yeah, oh my god, what a great show that was. Oh, what a terrific show. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk. And so he went out and did the show. And then after the show ends, we're all hanging in Jimmy's dressing room, uh, which was like the VIP area of the green room. And so I'm just sitting on the couch in Jimmy's dressing room talking to Quentin. And we're talking about Freaks and Geeks. We're talking about Kill Bill. We're talking about Regis Philbin for hours. Sure. I, as you do. Uh, like we're talking, talking, talking. And now time is going on and like people are leaving and they're leaving and Jimmy's gone. And I didn't realize it's now just the two of us sitting in. This green room, we did not realize the main green room area, everyone's gone. And so it's been like 90 plus minutes. You're hanging out with Quentin Tarantino for 90 minutes. Yes. And so then a security guy walks in and he's like, I hate to be a jerk, but uh, we kind of want to go home. And you guys are the last two here. So, and, and Quentin's like, oh shit, I had no idea. I was like, yeah, me neither. Sorry. And that's when we walked out and realized no one was there. And so like we walk and his car is I mean, one step outside of the exit from the building. Right. Uh, you know, there's fans screaming for him or whatever. And like we get outside and he goes, oh, man, it was really great talking with you. I really like to work together someday. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be all right. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you. I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Um, that was it, though. And that was you it. You didn't bring up anything. There, there was, was nothing, nothing to bring, bring up. up. He was promoting Kill Bill. All right. You know, and so then it was in the summer of 2008 that- Kill Bill, or excuse me, uh, Bastards, the script was floating around town. Yes. And everyone, oh, oh, and it leaked. And oh, you can read it and this, that. And he's, and he's looking for, he's looking for actors. He needs to make these bastards. And so I called my people and I was like, I'd already read the script. You got to like, get me in there. If you fail to get me an audition for this, I am not staying with this company. Like, not a chance. Make this happen. Get me in that room. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. 
Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. And they did. And I went in and I read, I met with him. And the, the, when you, he was just doing generals to start, just general meetings, did not want people to read, just wanted you to come in, say hello, shoot the shit. He wanted to get a vibe for who you were, which is bonkers. Uh, but I, and I had to like bring a DVD with like one serious scene, one funny scene from my, you know, reel or whatever. And so I had that ready to go and I go in there and God bless him. I walk in and the guy's like, Hey, what's up, Sam? Hey, good to see you. How you been? It's been like four years since I've seen him last, Right. but like nothing, like no time had passed. And we immediately fell back into that, uh, casual fun conversation that we'd had years earlier. And we talked for like 20 or 30 minutes and this is on a Friday and he's like, oh, okay, okay. You know what? I want you to come back on Monday and, and, and read, read for uh, Udovich. And I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, just read, read the script, hands me the script, read the script and just, you know, pr- prepare Udovich. There's like many scenes. So I went home and memorized every Udovich scene. Over the weekend. Over the weekend. And just had it down. Down. And so I went in on Monday and we read Udovich for 10 minutes. And they said Hirschberg. And then he was like, no. <laughs> no. Donowitz. Donowitz. And then he has me read Donowitz. Um, to come back, memorize it and come back? No, uh, cold. And uh, so I looked at it for a few minutes and then I went in and did it. And it's a Donowitz scene that's not in the movie, by the way. You probably read for Donowitz, if I had to guess. I probably. Uh, and it's a scene that was shot, but someday, God willing, we'll all see. It's Donowitz and an old Jewish lady played by Cloris Leachman. And it's him in Boston before he ships off to war. And he's going, that bat that he's got, that's got all the signatures yeah. on it, those are the names of the people from his Boston neighborhood or was still over in uh, Europe and had family in Boston. He said, write, write their names down here and I'll go either find them or get vengeance for them. Wow. And so it's that scene. It's a fucking intense scene. Right. Um, and here's my favorite thing about auditioning for Quentin. Now, most every other audition you go and the director's sitting there watching you and you're reading with, you know, someone else. casting assistant, right. maybe another actor. When you read for Quentin, you read with Quentin. He is in Damn your it. scene. He's off book and he's right up in your face. And he wants to feel how in the scene you are, how, what he's getting off of you if he were acting with Is you. it intimidating? Wildly. Yeah. And I was like, fucking put up or shut up like this is it this is what the man wants i'm going to give him everything i held nothing back uh and we did it many many times we did the Udovich stuff a bunch we did the donowitz stuff a bunch and i'm in there for easily a half hour and at the end of it, he's like all right all right all right that was great this guy i gotta think i gotta think but thank you so much and then i leave and i hear nothing for two weeks and i'm losing my mind because it's 
a Tarantino movie. It's a role in a Tarantino movie, like the the, the pinnacle for me. And uh, I was like, nope, that's it. I'm freaking out. I got to go. I can't do this. I got on a plane, flew to Chicago, bought tickets to see the Cubs at a homestand. That's my happy place. That's how I would deal with something that stressful. And it was while I was in Chicago. That's when I got the call. They're offering you the role. I was like, whoa, Yudovich Donowitz? No, Hirschberg. I didn't even read for that. I don't care. I'll I'll take a guy carrying a spear through the background of one scene. Yeah. It, it's I, like being a stormtrooper in Star Wars. Yep. Did did uh, Tarantino call you before you started filming or no? No. Uh, you just he, showed up on set. Mm-hmm. Did you have any kind of uh, boot camp kind of thing? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we had two full weeks of Was rehearsal. it hell? No, it wasn't a proper boot camp like the Private Ryan guys did. Right, right. It was not that. It was rehearsal time and uh, weapons training. He wanted us to be very uh, adept, adept with yeah. the knives for the scalping and with all the guns because all of them were like antique German guns right. that we were using. And he was like, look, sometimes I, I will be doing a scene and I'll realize I want you to have the, the machine gun instead of the rifle. And I need you to know how to be able to use it. So familiarize yourself with everything. Um, and, and we did. So we Do you were, remember the first day of filming? Uh-huh. Do you remember not being able to comprehend what's going on? Um, no, I could comprehend what was going on. It was just incredibly cool. Like it was, you know, it was certainly the most uh, well-funded film set I'd ever been on sure. at that point, uh, which was lovely. And uh, yeah, no, I remember like the first day we drove way the hell out to that. So the ditch where you see kind of the, the big opening bastard scene yep. where Ratchman dies and a and whole thing. Um, that's the first thing we shot. And we were there for six or seven days. And like, I remember we had to drive way the hell out there and we get there and I'm seeing everything and okay. And here's the tent where you go and we're going to bloody up your hands and get them disgusting. And then you go to that next tent and you'll work with the props guys and we'll figure out which blade you're going to get and which gun you're going to have on you. And, you know, and then head over to set and we're going to start blocking and Quentin's going to rehearse a couple times. And like we rehearsed for like an hour before they even set up cameras. I, I know that regular people go, oh, cool. You and I know that's fucking Never crazy. Never happens. That's crazy because they're you paying block it, you go to everyone. Makeup, you come back, you film it. They're paying everyone through the nose to to be there, and he just gets to take the time he wants, as many takes as he wants, as many days as he needs. I mean, we had two full weeks of rehearsal, so that means all the actors were being paid to be there, and not a frame of film. Was and how long show. were you there? I was there from September. All told, it was about four months. I think. Maybe four and a half. Wow. Well, what's it like? I mean, when when is he shouting things at you to say oh. and do things? It's depending on the scene, yes. Sam, Sam, do say, say this and uh, turn your head and do that. Yes. And then, and then, and then put, put, put your gun down. Yeah. Scream. Yeah, yell. Open your eyes. Yes. Yes. All, all that shit. All of that shit. Not all of the time. Some of the time, depending on the scene, the setup, the angle, whatever. Uh, but he, so the bastards um, largely were comedic actors. You got me, BJ Novak, Paul Rust. So he wanted comedians in those right. roles to play it serious, but he wanted to find the humor. And so I think that's why he hired us. Right. Uh, and so he encouraged Improv. improvisation. And you improvised. Yeah. Anything you improvised that's in the movie now that you remember? No. 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 But you improvised. On we the did side. it. You did it. We did it. Yeah. Was, did you, was he someone who 
can be really intense or was he was he always full of energy and positivity or was did you ever see him stress and really have anxiety and and you know like oh my god like i definitely he- saw him stress uh and I, I don't know how else to say it completely justifiably right you know a million like, things going on a million things going on and there was one scene and there was a prop that needed to be reset in between takes and we did the first scene and the prop breaks, which it's supposed to do. And then uh, we're waiting. We're, we're, we're going to, you know, we're, okay, we're going to go again. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting five minutes, 10 minutes. And then from the next room, I hear, are you fucking kidding me? Like, oh God, what happened? Apparently there was miscommunication or whatever. And the props guys were like, it's going to take 40 minutes to set that up again. It's like, you think I have 40 minutes between takes? So he... he- it was justifiable. I, I was like, no, I'd be pretty angry too. That is a colossal. Did they get it on the next take though? He was like, I, I remember him saying something like, you have 10 minutes to get that set up. And they did. And we did it on the next take. And whatever whatever they did after that, they, they fixed it. I don't know if they were, they swapped out a different prop for the thing they needed or what have you. But it was, that was personally the, like the angriest and most stressed I saw him get. But otherwise- totally infectious good spirits he does this thing he's famous for it if you've ever seen any behind the scenes footage he's not david fincher level with multiple takes but sometimes we will do a lot of takes on the same setup again and again and again and you can feel people will start to get exhausted and so you know it'll be like our 17th take and we'll do it and i'll go great Great, that was it. We got it. That was perfect. That was everything I'm looking for. But we're going to do it one more time. And why? And then in unison, everyone on set knows the response to that is because we love making movies. And he did that a lot. All the time. That's what you get. Do you still talk to him? It's been a while. But after the movie came out, we we I did get to hang with him. Do you quite have a his bit. number, his email? Yeah, you do. You email yeah. him occasionally. I just want to check in, say hi. Sure, it's been a minute, but yes, I if I wanted to, I could reach out and and say what's up. And uh, hey, did you? I'd be like, hey, did you see this movie? You got to see it. It's awesome. He, well, he lives in Israel now. Um, wow. So yeah, you get wife, kid, or kids over in Israel. To- totally new life. I hear he wants to do a horror movie as his last movie or uh, something. I, I take take nothing you ever hear. The here's when you know the next what the next Tarantino movie is going to be when he's on set shooting it because his entire career. Oh, here's what I'm going to do next. Here's what I want to do next. Here's what I think I should do. Here's what we're going to do. You know what? I've, uh, I'm, we're going to do the Vega Brothers. We're going to do Kill Bill Volume Three. We're going to do the prequel to Inglorious Bastards. These are all things that he's talked about at length, and none of them have happened. So here's what I believe will happen. He, when we were shooting Bastards, said he's going to retire from filmmaking when he's 60. He's going to make 10 movies, and that's that. And I was like, come on, you're not going to, you're going to walk away. And this was the phrase he used. He said, I'm going to become a man of letters. What does that, what does that even mean? He said, I'm going to be a writer, Sam, a writer. I was like, oh, okay. So the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that he put out a few years ago, which I don't know if you haven't read it. It's fucking great. Um, He's going to do that, I think, for either all of his films or he's going to start writing the book versions of the movies that he never had the time to actually make. So I believe we'll get the Vega brothers book. We'll get Inglorious bastards, the prequel book, kill Bill volume three, the book. That's my feeling. 
This is called uh, Shit Talking with Sam mm. Levine. This is uh, for all my patrons, top tier patrons get to ask questions to the guests. Uh, this is rapid fire. Oh, I know. If you want to join Patreon, go to patreon.com slash inside of you. You support and help the podcast more than you know. Here we go. Sophie, rapid fire. Breaking in. I was in the first season. That's right. You were. And I left. Can you tell us about your time on set there quickly? Uh, it was a tremendous fun. I got to work with Megan Mullally, who is simply the greatest. Really? Yeah. She's magnificent. I heard there was some nightmares on set. If there were, it did not happen around me. I was just a guest star. Oh, I did, you're just a I guest did star. Two, I think two episodes. Right. Um, and getting to work with her was wonderful. And uh, everyone was so nice to me. And uh, Adam F. Goldberg. Adam F. Goldberg. That was his show. And uh, I think I got that job because I'd done a short film that he'd written in 2004. And then I got breaking in. And I was like, this is great, man. Let's work together all the time. I love it. Leanne, who are some of your personal heroes? Um, personal heroes. Steve Martin, uh, Mel Brooks, um, Ken Griffey Jr. Okay. Gianna H., have, uh, having worked in the pre-web world, then seeing the evolution of the online world, do you think the fundamentals of show business have changed more than just the vehicle? 100%. And for the record, when you said pre-web world, I was like, is this a Spider-Man question? <laughs> um, uh, yes, the, the the nuts and bolts of the industry have changed dramatically uh, since the 90s. Oh. Um, my God, so, it's so completely different uh, because you can launch a career now from wherever you are in the world with your phone and the internet and huge, huge acts, actors, musicians have come up that way in a way that was fundamentally impossible for people like us to break through that way in the nineties. Justin Bieber, for example. Yes. You're right. Yeah. Steph F. We talked about this. Do you keep in touch with anyone from Freaks and Geeks, Geeks cast? Yes. Just the one. I mean, I, I'm on good terms with everyone. Like, you just don't I, keep in touch. Like yeah, that. when I see them out and about, like I ran into Jason Siegel in uh, uh, Solvang. And you're just a, like, a dude. Couple months ago. Yeah. Hey, we hugged. We chatted for a few minutes. But, you know. Yeah. It was, it was lovely. They had their lives. It was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Little Lisa, what's your most prized possession? I can't why? say. Then it's going to get stolen. Did you ever have... Uh, Tarantino sign anything while you're working with him? No, I didn't. Um, oh, but I oh, I did grab some props. What'd you grab? Um, I got some red apple cigarettes. Really? Vintage red apple cigarettes. I got my dog tags. Wow. Um, if I'll be schmaltzy, uh, my most prized possession is now this wedding ring. You just got married. I just got married did a couple you? months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I, I text you. I was, I was so happy for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm 50. I haven't found that one. I am not, you know, I hope one day everybody hopes, dreams of being with someone, meeting someone that they could live with for the rest of their lives. Sure. I know it's a it's a dream, It's but sometimes dreams come true. Um, did you feel for many years like you were lonely or I wasn't going to find the person? I just, I'm going to be single. No one gets me. Mm -hmm. Did you go through a lot of that? Of course. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, like everyone, especially after a certain age, if you've had relationships you thought were going one way and then they didn't, you know, you question everything. Uh, maybe yes. it's me. What am I doing wrong? Right. You know, if, if I can't figure it out and I spent ugh, years in therapy, which Good. boy, boy Good. do I recommend. Um, and yeah, no, as a young person, I was a disaster. Uh, and so I, 
could never make any of those relationships work. Uh, and then when I had been in therapy and I was actively working trying, on working on myself, trying to be the best version of me I could be and things still weren't working. I was like, well, I don't, then maybe it's just not going to happen. And, and am I going to be okay with that? You know, like I saw older friends who had long-term marriages and then I saw other older successful friends who were perpetually single. I was like, I don't, I think I could do either of those. So maybe I'll be okay no matter what happens. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of the, you, you know, when you'll find love the minute you stop looking, that's nonsense. If you're not looking for it, it ain't going to happen. Like the, you've seen versions of the tweet where it's like, if it's meant to happen, the right person will find me in my home. No, no. You've got to go out and do, you've got to be proactive. You have to ask someone out. You have, you to, have ask to take someone the initiative. Out. You have to risk being rejected. Yes. Like where you're so used to be. Yeah. No, I went on hundreds of dates. Sure. As a young person. Uh, I would say conservatively 300 first dates over my dating career. That probably led to 20 second dates overall. How many, how long have you been married now to Rachel? Uh, we've been married. It'll be five months five months Six, just over five months is it awesome it's magnificent she's the greatest she's the greatest like she's a person and we say this to each other all the time we're like how come i didn't know you existed until <laughs> that point of our lives it seems wrong but then i'm like well if we'd have met at any other point in our lives it might not have worked we needed to be where we were mentally emotionally when we met for this to work right um and, and so the timing was great. And I tell you, it's, it's, it's a thing that you hope for in your head when you're a, a single person looking for that. And I, you find, and I found it and I just, I'm astonished and I fall more in love with her every day because every day I learn something new about her or I interact with her in a way that just melts my heart. And uh, That's she's beautiful, the greatest man. person I know. What a treat. You deserve it. Thanks, we man. all deserve to be loved and to love. You know, we really do. Um, and I think that's for a long time, I didn't feel like I was lovable. I've, if, you know, my friend said it perfectly. He said, logically, I know that I'm lovable. Mm -hmm. Logically, I know people love me. But there's a difference when you don't feel it. Yes. And you have to learn to love yourself. You have to learn to feel it. Yes, if I, I am definitely a, a fan of you've got to be okay with you, yeah, before you can get someone else to be okay with you, a hundred percent. Yeah, this has been great. This has been. Did you enjoy it? I had. I thought we were just time. two guys chatting. Just two guys chatting, pitting out. What's oh, <laughs> now? What's what's next for you? Anything? Anything uh, going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Minx season two. Minx season two. Where, yes. cool, where can we watch that? HBO Max. Season it, one is on HBO Max. Minx is such a great show. I have heard Minx is a great show. Oh my God. If you, you like Dong. I mean, who doesn't like Dong? Who doesn't like Dong? Do we see like, your Dong? You do not. Not uh, yet. Not uh, yet. Would Come you on. show your Dong? Uh, for the, what it's worth, very few of the male actors on the show who've shown their Dongs, I don't believe they're real Dongs. Oh, they're, uh, they're artificial dongs. Yes. There are plenty of real dongs, but I think you only see them uh, fleetingly. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. What Would I show it? At this point, I'm a married person. But honestly, and I, I mean this in all sincerity, nobody wants to see it. Why? No, nobody wants to see it. Why not? Nobody, nobody wants to see me naked. But you'd no. be surprised. I wouldn't. The people who would want it, we, no. You don't want to hang out with those people. I know, nobody wants to hang out with them. I... <laughs> 
We, we did get a preview of all the chest hair, though. That That's good? true. Oh, well, that you can see uh, in the show because yeah. I wear a very low-cut, open shirt. So yeah. it's chest hair. Going. I have shown my ass in uh, a few things. How do you like your ass? Um, it's hairy. But so don't you shave it with an I, electric razor? I do. Razor? I shave it. I've shaved it every, every the, time Does I've had Rachel show. shave it for you now? No. You it sli- has not come up yet. Does she ever shave your back for you? No. Hasn't, she never hasn't, trims there? No. No. The, the body hair doesn't bother her. Okay. Yeah. At least if it does, she's not said anything. Uh, but uh, yeah. No, I've shown my ass. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I've gotten so much more comfortable with my body, which is the hope. As you get older, you're mm-hmm. like, it's funny. I, I, as much as I dislike it, I'm not getting a new one. Like this is the body. This is it. This is it. This is the hand I've been dealt. What What is your handle? You need to follow this guy. He's obviously <laughs> funny. He's got great stories. He's a great soul. So he goes to therapy. He's worked on himself. What's your handle? I'm at Sam Levine. S A M M L E V I N E on all the majors. Watch Minx on HBO Max. Max. Um, also, quickly, yeah. Lisa Kudrow. I know she told you to get an agent and start auditioning. <laughs> yeah. Do you still talk to her occasionally? Uh, every time I've seen her, we've always had a lovely interactions. Yes. And yes, that's true. When I was uh, 12 years old, she saw me do stand up at a friend's bar mitzvah, asked me if I was a professional. I said, no. She's like, oh, you should consider it. And I was like, okay, how do I do that? She's like, buy backstage. There's, you'll find an agent. You'll, you'll be and that's fine. what you did. And I literally bought backstage and there was a manager advertising, are you a kid who does stand up? So I called and that's my rep who wound up years later submitting me for Freaks and Geeks. You're not with him anymore. Uh, no, but it's I adore years. him. Right. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, that was uh, Sid Gold, the great Sid Gold. The great Sid Gold. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So thanks, Lisa. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you, Sam. This has been a real treat for me. The treat has been all mine. You can be inside of me anytime you want. And I will. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. Boy, Ryan, have we talked about Rocket Money a lot. We sure have. Well, it's something that is easy to talk about because it's saving everyone, including myself and you, money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had about um, 15 subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for 20 subscriptions each month. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never-ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. In fact, had this trial period for something that I was considering using. Mm -hmm. And then you go in there, and you realize, oh add-ons are $4.99 or this is $3.99 and then you want to give it a shot so you kind of add these add-ons which add a hell of a lot to what you're originally spending and then you forget about it for like three months mm-hmm. you're like what am i doing this this should be against the law but the closest thing you could do uh then to fight these claims is have rocket money do it for you Uh, With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. 
they'll deal with the customer service for you. And I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll even help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. This is what I need. I need people like this in my life. I need apps like this in my life. I need rocket money in my life, Ryan. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside inside what can i say i like his stories he tells good stories <laughs> he does tell good stories yeah i like yeah i like people who you know he's been i mean he's been around he's he been doing a long time yes he he's not old i'm a one mm-hmm. older than him but he's been around longer than i am yeah. you know i love his stories i love this the judd apatow and the um stories about inglorious bastards and you know he's a great storyteller and a very funny funny naturally funny guy mm-hmm. you know he tells when he used to do bar mitzvahs or whatever and like he would do all, you know it's like i get it i get it and um i wish him the best i'm so glad he got married and the love of his life and they're just soulmates and hopefully i'll find that someday ryan it's out there man uh, it's out there yeah well thanks we're gonna do the top tier patrons right now um Make sure you subscribe, write a review if you like this podcast. And if you missed you missed a lot of stuff in the intro, I'm not going to repeat it, but go back to the intro for some really cool stuff that's coming up. Let's read the top tier patrons. Let's do it. Nancy D, Leah S, Sarah V, Little Lisa, you, Kiko, Jill, E, Brian, H, Nico, P, Robert, D, B, correct, Jason, D, W, correct, Sophie, M, Raj, C, Joshua, D, Jennifer, N, Stacy, L, Jamal. F. Janelle. B. Kimberly. E. Mike. E. Eldon Supremo. 99. More. Santiago. M. Santiago. You're such a lovely man. It was so awesome hanging out with you at the con. You're going to send me that Lex Luthor bust, right? The, a couple of those. Um, direct message me on Instagram. Um, I'll find it somehow when I look through them. And, um, but you're, you're, he's such a good guy. That's all I'll say. Chad. T L W. Correct. Leanne. P. Correcto. Janine. R. Maya. P. Maddie. S. Belinda. N. Chris. N. M. S. H. H. Dave. H. Correct. Hi, Dave. How are you? Sheila. G. Brad. L. D. D. Ray. H. Harada. Ray was at uh, the last con. She was marvelous. It was such a joy to see her. And she's pregnant and she read some stuff at the Smallville Nights. It was great to see. It's great to see the folks when I do get to see them. Maya P. I think I'll be seeing. I think Maddie, um, you know, Raj, seeing all those guys and Leanne and. brian it just the list goes on but they come to the cons and i see them and it it really almost oh my god it's like family i immediately give them a hug it's like i know them even though we don't really know each other i feel like they they know me tabitha t tom n 
Liliana. H N P C A B A. Yes. Talia. I don't remember. M. Okay. Betsy. D. Chad. D. Close. Rhymes, Rhymes with D. B. Correct. Dan. I feel like I do that every time. Sorry, Chad. Just think Dan. Dan. N. Dan. Dan. N. Dan. 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 Big Stevie. W. Angie. Angel. E. Angel. M. You got that on your own. Rhiannon. C. Corey. A. K. K. Dev. Nexon. Michelle. Uh, K. A. Yes. Jeremy. C. Oh, John. There's so many. John R. B. B. Brandy. D. Camille. S. Joey. M. Eugene and Leah. Nikki. I think Nikki comedian. G. Nikki Glazer. Hmm. Corey. Patricia. Heather. Think Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, look what? on the poster. Heather. The words are so small. Heather Langenkamp. She's okay. Think L. Oh. Megan. Megan T. Mel S. Orlando. C. Caroline. R. Christine. I don't know. Just think Caroline R. Christine S. Got it. Next letter in the alphabet. Sarah. S. Correct. Eric. C H H Shane R Emma R Andrew M Zatuichi T 77 Oh crap Andreas N Oracle Karina S L N N Amanda I don't know R Okay Jen B, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Lena 82, Jarrell, Billy S, Jam and J, ADHD Rocks Todd, Luna R, Cindy E. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Cindy. Hi. How are you? Great to see you. Guys, I appreciate you. I love you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for always supporting the podcast. Uh, again, I know there's millions of podcasts, and a lot of you choose this one. And, uh, uh, you know, it makes me feel really good. And I, I really do see that it does help people. I'm starting to see and understand that, hell, wow, I mean, inadvertently, or maybe it's just that I try to get something out of it that I think a, a, us humans would want to get out of something you know an interview like what what do you want to get out? i want some maybe inadvertently some advice from someone i want to find out how they get through their troubles i want to explore you know things i'm just curious that's it thanks for listening from the hollywood hills in hollywood los angeles california <laughs> i am michael rosenbaum <laughs> meow meow i'm ryan Diaz. yeah we'll wave to the camera uh, so many great interviews coming up. Don't miss them. I, I met a lot of folks at the con and we're trying to, I think it's going to work out in the new year. It's going to be a great year, but we still have some time in this, uh, in this December, we call it. So look, take care of yourself. Would you say it's a long December? It's long December. And there's reason to reason believe. to believe. Maybe this year will be better than the last. Uh -huh. 
can't remember something like that. I don't yeah. remember. I never. It's hard to sing that song because it's different. Like it, then he ch- it's different live every time. He does mm-hmm. not stick to it. All right, I love you guys. Be good to yourself. And as uh, the last interview I just had, who's coming up, which is going to be, I'm promoting it now. Fuck, I don't care. It's coming out in the new year. D. Wallace, the mom from E.T., Cujo, uh, tons of shit. She's got self-help books. This woman blew me away. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it when it comes out. Ryan and I said this was the best podcast we've ever heard or I've ever done. Wait till you hear it. I mean, it's emotional, it's fun, it's charming, it's ridiculous. It's just everything a podcast should be. Yeah. And I'm proud of myself. And I can't wait for you to hear it. So stick around. Patreons, stick around. <laughs> Everybody stick around. Uh, she taught me something important. Ryan, remember what it is? Love yourself. Love yourself. It's the most important thing. It's hard to do. It's hard to do, but you've got to learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. Love yourself. I love you. See you next week. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? (laughs) (laughs) In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen.